Thank you, guys. That was beautiful. God has blessed our community with some musicians, huh? It's beautiful. It's good to be with you guys this morning. We have been in a series on Mark, and we will be for a while, The Gospel According to Mark. And today we are going to open up kind of a three-part mini-series. I think you could characterize the three parts if you were going to kind of get to the heart of it. This might not be right, but I would like to summarize it with three words. Jesus is crazy. We will see Jesus acting in ways that are absolutely ridiculously foolish, according to the value systems of mankind. He's going he's gonna to be dealing with sin. Today we'll look at the effects of sin, and then there'll be a couple different ways that he engages with sinfulness. But these three stories, and today we start with a familiar one, the cleansing of the leper, they draw us to this place where I am challenged with the Jesus I'm reading in Mark's gospel held up against the Jesus that I learned about growing up, who was primarily a softy pants. He was, he was genteel and quiet. He preferred the company of baby animals. <laughs> he liked to sit under trees and have lots on his lap, and he spoke softly and made everybody feel good and comfortable and cozy. And I actually, through that image of Jesus growing up, I kind of grew to believe that that was what Jesus came to the world to do. He came here to make my life more comfortable and cozy than it already was. And as a modern American, comparatively speaking, it's pretty cozy in the history of mankind. But Jesus could make it even more better, you know? He was going to really bring my life to a better spot, and he didn't really care about much. This is the picture that I had of Jesus, just kind of a quiet weakling. If you thought about a pickle that you might get into as a person, a real problem, and you wanted somebody to kind of have your back, my head by age 10, growing up going to church and Awanas and Sunday school and all that, by age 10, I would have far rather had Hulk Hogan or Gandalf at my side than Jesus, quite frankly. Because Jesus is for talking about soft, simple things. But these other wizards and powerful people, they've got great courage and power. And I think when we actually read Mark's gospel and we listen to what he's saying and we think deeply about what Jesus is doing, it's not, it's not that we are invited into the life of Jesus, the softy pants. But we're invited into the life of Jesus, the brave. And I think that you will see in these next three weeks, and through the whole gospel, but you will see that this is a man of significant courage, perhaps ultimate courage, quite frankly. What he does today is incredible. And I mean that in the story we're about to read, but also just today in general. He is courageous, and Mark is inviting us to see a Savior who is unwilling to just placate to the evil world that is constantly corrupting us. I remember Moses coming to the scene in the Exodus narrative where he brings the power of Yahweh to help 
undo the anti-creation chaos that the Pharaoh had foisted upon the world. That was real and physical, and you could see what was going on in that moment. Here, Jesus has done what? He's, he's engaged with demons in this dark world, and today with this disease. So there's a lot to look at, but I want you to notice up front that we are engaging with, we're listening to and learning from a Jesus who is exceedingly courageous, and he came to do battle with the forces of evil. And it's because he hates evil and he loves you. And he knows that sin wrecks us. My goal then in the next three weeks is to expose you to some raw courage. You and I don't, you and I don't follow somebody who's just sort of average and wants to do some nice things and make our lives a little bit better. This is God himself saving us. So turn with me to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 40 today. There came to him a leper. There came to him a social reject. Think on the front end as you're turning. I want you to think about the current contemporary. It's called maybe Hansen's disease sometimes or leprosy. We don't have any evidence that that disease existed in the first century, so it's unlikely that that, what you can kind of Google image search and see pictures of leprosy, I wouldn't recommend doing that, but you can, it's disgusting. But it's a really hardcore disease. This word in the Greek is probably uh, more encompassing of many different kinds of skin diseases, and that would be what the, the Levitical law behind the scenes here is talking about. So some of them were curable, and after time, the person would be cured, and they would be able to re-enter the community. Others were incurable. I think that this story in Mark lends to the idea that this man suffers from an incurable form of a skin disease. And so the Mosaic law, the law Moses gave to the people, was one that said, when you have this kind of disease, you can't live within the community of, of people who don't have it. You have to live in isolation away from the community. So that's kind of the background context. Let's pick it up in verse 40. There came to Jesus a leper, and this leper, he got down on his knees, and he begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. Now that's what the NIV reads. Pause. Some of your Bibles will say Jesus was moved by compassion. It's the same word. They didn't make a mistake, but that word can kind of go either way, and we look to the context of the passage to say, is he, is he angry in this moment, or is he moved by deep compassion? I don't know, but I kind of think Mark would suggest both with one word. If it is anger, he's moved with anger toward the sinful realities of this world, the way that corruption has broken down people and disease is ravaging human beings. So he's looking at this victim and saying, I'm really mad about that. If it's moved by compassion, then he is looking more at the man himself and saying, this guy has been broken by a chaotic world and he feels compassion toward him. I suspect it's a little bit of a both and. I think he might be in both frameworks. It's a difficult word to translate in this context. But we know that he was moved, whether angry or moved with compassion. 
And he reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anybody, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for cleansing as a testimony to them, to those priests. Instead, though, the man went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. There came to him a leper, the social reject of Jesus' day. In our day, I think that we have little that causes a person to need to do this kind of thing. So this leper, if he was going to come into any sort of visible contact with another person, had to yell, unclean, unclean, kind of to give fair warning. I remember the Swiss Family Robinson pirate ship when they flew the black flag, you know, to let the other ships know we've got the black death on the ship. Or I think of today maybe a more modern example of if you're a sex offender, you're on the registry and you're moving to a town, you've got to let everybody in the neighborhood know, hey, this is me, I'm coming into the neighborhood. That's obviously quite a bit different than having a disease, but it's something along that lines. And we might say in that case, well, that's probably a good thing for several different reasons, which might be true, but just put yourself in the shoes of that person anyhow. And remember, that would be excruciatingly painful and isolating, wouldn't it, to be ostracized from community like that. It also might be somebody like a HIV victim or other people who have something that's sort of unspeakable. It might even today literally be a skin disease, a significant one that keeps your sores open and wounds fresh and you just can't really hang around with other people and give hugs and handshakes and so forth. This does exist. So this is this man is in this place where he by law can't be with the rest of the people. And if he is going to be for any reason, he's got to yell it out before he comes into the town. And you can imagine what people do when they hear the man walking into town screaming, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. This leper was regarded as one to avoid, one to be away from. What the Old Testament does with leprosy and what the people that Jesus is engaging with here would have thought of for sure that the Old Testament uses leprosy as a kind of a good picture of what sin is like. So don't hear me saying that the Old Testament or the Bible teaches that if you're a sinner, you get leprosy or that all lepers are, are being punished for a specific sin. That's not what I mean. But they would look at leprosy and they would say, man, corruption of the person, highly contagious, results in being cut off from the community of God. That's a pretty good picture of what sinfulness does, isn't it? It corrupts us, it makes us contagious and infectious, and it cuts us off from God's people. So there's a little bit of imagery here that, that is also very clear for us. We want to notice that as we walk forward. Here's the law in Leviticus 13. 
about leprosy. Leviticus 13.45 says, As for the diseased person who has the infection, the skin disease, his clothes must be torn, and the hair of his head must be unbound, and he must cover his mustache, and he must call out, unclean, unclean. The whole time that he has the infection, he will be continually unclean, and he must live in isolation, and his place of residence must be outside of the camp. So this is a law that's been established for a very long time. The fact that this man lives outside of the camp and so forth is just the way it was. It wasn't a bad thing Jesus was trying to correct, necessarily. It was just how it worked, okay? Although some may have understood leprosy as a punishment for sin, it wasn't all. We just want to remember that the image, what it did to somebody, was synonymous with what sin does to us. I don't think all of us can feel this very deeply, the way it would be to be this man, this leper. But I suspect that most of us can at least feel it a little bit, what it's like to be socially rejected, totally. I know that I have felt this in my, in my growing up at different times. I'm, I, d- I doubt it was as deeply as this man, because even though I felt it, I still had a family that I lived with and a room that I could sleep in next to my sister and mom and dad and so forth. But I feel like oftentimes at certain points in our life, we feel social rejection. You feel like you're not worthy. You feel like everybody else is better. You feel like you just don't belong. It almost feels like isolation would be a better place for you to be than near other folks. You kind of feel like you'll just be an annoyance or a burden to people. I think we feel that way. Maybe we're not first century lepers, but you can put yourself in those crusty bandages, you know? Try to start to feel what he felt like. Without social support, he would have to live in total isolation with other social rejects, that's it, other lepers in a leper colony. And your game of life was one of hoping and waiting. If you you had this, And there was some potential, if only there was potential for you to be restored, to be remade, as it were, to be renewed. I mean, you just sit around all day thinking about what it is you were doing. You had to function. You still had to plant food and eat and trade and do those things within your colony. But think of the longing that he felt inside, longing to not be isolated and cut off and having to say unclean, unclean, everything. I can't even introduce myself. The first thing I have to say is, I'm broken and I'm dangerous to you. Unwanted, alone, rejected. I think the Bible would have us see these kinds of things as an experience of death. Being unwanted, alone, rejected. Isn't that how sin makes us feel? I sin, I'm caught up in a sin. I feel unwanted. I don't want to talk with anybody about it. I don't want to bring it up. I hope it doesn't come up. I feel alone. I look to the Bible. I think about my life with God, and it's like, he doesn't want somebody like me. I feel rejected. I think this man felt all of those things for different reasons. 
You think about those things, unwantedness, being alone or rejected as death. Let's think about the opposite then. And you think about the source of life. Where does our life come from? All throughout the, the plant and animal kingdom, life, life seems to come from outside sources. I was just talking this week with a friend about how just a kernel of corn, you know, its potential for life is dependent upon it cracking open and sending out tendrils into the, into the soil, into the air, and it needs to receive nutrients, water, sunlight for photosynthesis, all of those things. That's just a seed. But we as people, we need and our life comes from outside of ourselves. And yet our world says, think of the high value played on somebody who is self-made, yeah? Or self-sufficient. Or believe in yourself. We prefer self-service. I want to... I I want to do this on my own. I don't need anybody else. The world that we live in is continuously making us more and more uh, enamored by the idea of being able to just do it all by myself and not have anybody else around. Even at grocery stores, you know, I'd kind of prefer to just have the robot check me out. Then I don't have to, I don't have to deal with people and I could just sit there and do the beeping. And then you have the tomato without the sticker and you can't find the PLU number. It's just a nightmare. But I still want to check out with the robot. We have all of these different values and systems that allow us to sort of go it alone, and yet where are we as a society? I'm not a hardcore historian, but looking at world history, at least at a cursory glance, I think that we're probably moving toward one of the loneliest generations ever isolated and cut off, cut off from the people. And in our isolation, a whole new world opens up to us, doesn't it? Then it's a dark world. I feel like that is closer to us than we often recognize. If you actually spoke about what you feel and think, you would feel socially, you would be socially rejected. If you actually let folks know who you really are, you have this sense of, man, if I do that, if I'm honest, if I just cut to the chase, that could, that could lead to even further isolation. And notice this text is not teaching us how to deal with social isolation or rejection. I'm just trying to get into the head of this leper, okay? I'm trying to get into how it, how it is that he's feeling and thinking. When we think of the effects of sin in our lives, I think we do think unclean. If God ever figured out how unclean you were, he would say to you, tell me you are unclean, unclean. You need to say it before you come to my presence. You will be continually unclean, and you will not live with me. You will be cast out into isolation. One of the kind of thoughts that run through my head when I think about being totally honest with God about my own sinfulness I don't want him to do that, so I like to sort of invent a false self. I'm not that bad. I'm actually, I've got it put together. That's what I'll present to God. There came to him a social reject. Something snapped in this man, and I am almost positive that it was the good news that he had heard. This leper was sitting around one day. 
And he heard this good news sweeping through the countryside and through the land. So imagine with me, if you will, this leper sitting there. I'm going to pretend a little bit. Sitting on the side of the road, he's probably begging for something to eat. And along comes a familiar merchant who starts telling him a story with some excitement in his tone. If you could just try to sit there in this first century world as that leper and imagine this scene. This merchant walks up to him. He says, man, there's this guy. Dude, you remember that crazy camel hair wearing dude who had all the bee stings on his face because he was always eating wild honey? You know, his name was John. He was up in the wilderness. That guy who was out there right, right through the cut up by that swimming hole on the Jordan River. Remember that guy? Yeah, yeah, I remember him, I guess. I would have gone up, but, you know, I can't. We've got the leprosy. Yeah, well, check it out. He was saying that there was this other guy who was coming after him, and this other guy would be so excellent, apparently, so worthy, that he said he couldn't even, he couldn't even touch his shoes. And the leper says, well, why not? Did he have particularly dirty feet? No, no, man, not that he had bad feet. It was that this next guy coming after him would be so worthy that he was unworthy, John said, to even stoop down and untie his sandals because he would be some kind of king. Dang, yeah. But I heard from Eli last week that he's on the move in the land. And apparently he, he walked straight into the Capernaum synagogue last week and he cast out demons on the spot. Man, too bad I don't have any demons possessing me. Well, I guess that's not too bad, but you know, if that's what he can do. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, I hear you, but it wasn't just that. He picked up a few followers down by the point, south of town, you know, where all the fishermen gather. And there were all these fishermen and some dude named Simeon or Simon, I can't remember, but he had this sick woman in his family. I think it was his mom or his mother-in-law. I'm not sure what, but this dude, his name is Jesus of Nazareth. He went right into the house, and there she is, and, and he literally just touched her, and I guess it instantly healed her, and then she was able to serve them. It was crazy. That's what I heard anyway. No joke. Are you serious? Yeah, dude, for real. He just touched her, and she was healed? Like, totally healed? It actually worked? Yeah, man. Word to your mother. What does that mean? It means yes. All right. And there he sat, this leper, sitting there looking down at his oozing sores. And that Leviticus law, it talks about the colors of the, of the emission from the sore. If it's a greenish yellow or a reddish brown, it's kind of disgusting, quite frankly. But there he is looking down at these bandages, his yellowish green and reddish brown sores and bandages, you know, it's soaked. It's not like he gets to go down to the store and buy a fresh change of clothes now and again. It's crusted up, covered in filth and slimy. He surely felt something in his heart. To look honestly at your life, to see that it's in a broken and wrecked state, and consider, to just think about the fact that there might still be hope. I'm sure it was a freaky feeling. You ever been trapped up, bound to something, 
And you, you can actually see that there's a way to become different, that Jesus can help you change. And you've been caught in that way for so long, even, even though you wanna change and you wanna be different, actually changing and becoming different is actually scary. It kind of freaks you out. I wonder if this leper was a little bit freaked out. It'd be so good, but it would be so different. Well, this leper was sick and tired of being sick and tired, as it were. That's a phrase I remember using often when I was growing up. And here he is hobbling. I bet you he picked it up and he said, I'm going to see this guy. Hobbling down the road. And the story reads, there came to him a leper, the social reject, a person whose life had been ravaged by the effects of sin. Sin in this world, maybe his own sin, the sins of his fathers and mothers, the sin of mankind. All of us are implicated at that level. Our sin makes all of creation groan. And this man is groaning. Unclean, unclean, he yells out. And the people scatter. I bet, you know, it doesn't say that. But I bet when he comes to town and he yells unclean, nobody's like, hey, cool, man, who are you? But they're like, whoop, stay away from that guy. It takes another step. Everybody scatters. Now you gotta, this is where my head goes. It goes to Clint Eastwood, okay? And, it, and it, I'm sure it was like an old western town. I'm sure it wasn't, but just bear with me. But I imagine everybody scattering, and then there's Jesus standing there at the end. Now, if it was Clint Eastwood, he'd throw on that Mexican poncho, you know, and light up the cigar. You'd hear that music, you know. Remember that? That's the music that's happening right now. And there's, there's Jesus, and here's this leper coming in. And he comes up to Jesus, and he falls down onto his knees. This is a profound moment. This is a special moment. He falls down onto his knees. You can feel his knees, can't you? Shaking. Any time in his entire life, he has never felt this. And it was a hodgepodge, I'm sure, of fear, of hope, of something. And there he is on his knees in front of Jesus. If you are willing, you can make me clean. He knew it. He believed it. He had heard that this was the kind of man Jesus would. Now, this is interesting. Notice, had the leper been just an average pagan, he would have said, you can make me well. You can cure me. But this is a Jewish context, and he wants to be made clean. His focus is on being restored to the community, not just on getting healthy for me, I want to not be cut off from God's people anymore, and you, Jesus, are the one who can make that happen. You can make me clean. And then something happened to this leper that had not happened to him probably since the day he contracted the disease. Another human being touched him. Oh, the power of physical touch is profound and underestimated. Jesus reached out and he touched this man. Now just imagine that. He puts his hand on him. He touches him. And Jesus says, I am willing. Be clean. I bet that leper's heart stopped beating for a second. The impossible was happening right before him. 
I'd love to see a YouTube video of this. I mean, I bet you he looks down at his arms and I bet he can see those sores healing right before his eyes, taking one of those filthy rags and rubbing the scabs and the crusted pus off of his arms and his fresh, beautiful, new skin. I bet his heart was, I bet he was sweating. He's looking at his body and you know, you know when you get a sore or some open wound on a joint, you know, I bet he had him on his joints. He could move differently. He felt totally different. I bet it was a tingling sensation. He starts unraveling the bandages, his filthy rags, and he sees that Jesus has really been the one who removed those filthy rags. Jesus is the one who made him clean, made him new again. And he's stoked. You know he's stoked. You know the guy is totally pumped. And then Jesus scolds him, <laughs> you know, kind of crazy. Like, what are, you, what are you yelling at him for? The guy just wants to get healed. Jesus immediately scolds him, and he says that he gives him a stern instruction. This is real intense in the, in the Greek. It's real, really strong. And he says, don't you dare say a word. Oh, that would be the oddest instruction. Every one of us, every single one of us would love to just yell that truth out from as the highest, loudest possible platform we could have. We would want to tell everybody. Jesus says, don't say anything. Here's what I want you to do. Go present yourself to the priests. That helps us understand who the highest authority was in Jesus' day. Go to the priests. Show them your body. They will inspect. That was the priest's job, to inspect the skin, make sure it was clean. He would have to offer a couple of sacrifices, and then he could be restored to the community. This is, after all, what the leper had asked for. Make me clean. He wanted to be able to go and do exactly that. So Jesus says, do that. This way you'll be able to fulfill the Torah. Jesus says, I came to fulfill the Torah. Here's one small picture of that. Now go and get reestablished into this community. I have saved your hide, I think Jesus is saying, literally, his skin. And now you need to follow God's instructions. So go and do that. And of course, like we all do, after receiving the great grace of God, his saving gifts, this man went and he did as Jesus had instructed. No, he didn't. Not even close. I mean, he literally does a 100% about face. It's like, awesome, great instruction, not going to do it. I think he had something like this going on. Jesus, thank you. You are awesome. You are totally awesome. This is great. Oh, my goodness. I'm not going to listen to another word you say, though, because I am good to go. And the man went out and began to speak freely, spreading the news. I think this is a classic case of somebody who believes in Jesus and remains unwilling to trust him. You can believe in Jesus and not trust him at all. That's a really, really bad place to be because you're filled with a bunch of false assurance. This man believed in Jesus and didn't trust him even for a minute. That's a hard part of the story, isn't it? The man says when he went out, he went out and he spread the news. Mark is careful here to not use that word. We looked at the previous couple of sermons, euangelion, which is the gospel or the good news. 
That's not what this man was going out to spread. It was just the word, the word about what had happened to him. I think Mark wants us to know that this man did not go out preaching the kingdom. That's what Mark associated with the gospel. This man went out talking about his great healing. And we noticed this last week, surprisingly, Jesus was not interested in becoming a popular healer. Even to the chagrin of his own disciples who had just started following him. See, by their value set, Jesus became really popular really fast by doing healings. Awesome, that's the goal, right? And Jesus, if you remember, had bowed out. He went to pray, he kept it quiet, and then when the crowds were banging on the door, Jesus said, come on, let's roll. Let's go out to the smaller towns where this isn't happening. Because he said, if you remember, he said, I want to go to the smaller towns and preach the kingdom, you know, in parentheses. I want to go and preach the kingdom. This is why I have come. I came for a different reason. God's kingdom is definitely coming, like it or not. So here again, we see that same theme from last week emerge. There's a great paragraph here by an author named Ben Witherington III. I want to read it to you. He says, This story about Jesus healing the leper suggests that when we evaluate Mark's perspective on maladies and malignancies and malformations, we must consider first that on the one hand, Mark stresses that Jesus came to combat all forces of evil, spiritual and physical and emotional. Okay? On the other hand, Jesus knew that the only lasting cure for physical ailments was not the temporary reprieve of healing now, only to die sometime later, but of resurrection, the putting of humankind into a condition where they are immune to disease and decay and death and no longer subject to the ravages of sin, suffering, and sorrow. This is perhaps in part why Jesus is presented as saying in this very first chapter that first and foremost, he came to proclaim the good news of the inbreaking of God's dominion, not primarily to give temporary relief from a human condition that is eventually terminal anyway. Jesus is certainly not a reluctant healer, but healing is not the focus of his mission. I think we all know that deep down. We don't want to know that, but if you just drive by any cemetery, you know that our condition is terminal. Whether you've got a clean bill of health right now or are ravaged by cancer, we all have a terminal disease, don't we? That's what Jesus came to speak to. That's what he came to cure. He's not going to the leper and saying, fine, 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 I will heal you if you want, but I don't really care about that. We know that's not true already in the text. It said he saw the broken man and was moved with compassion toward him, with anger toward the brokenness itself. So Jesus does heal willingly, happily. In the book of John, in John's gospel, those healings take on a little bit of a different tone. 
They're signs of his great power. So don't hear me saying that Jesus doesn't care about healing. He does, but not as much as he cares about the gospel and the real cure and the real problem. Jesus' rock-solid belief in the resurrection and the kingdom of God makes him take a more limited view of the value of temporary cures for creatures who will be dying one day anyhow. Jesus the healer is far more Jesus the proclaimer of something greater to come. I think that's really important for us. And this is back to that other sermon. Are you going to Jesus just to get a little fix? Something to fix up a few problems right now? Are you going to him to hear, believe, and actually trust in what he's saying about the kingdom of God? He doesn't merely proclaim this man to be clean, does he? He actually makes him clean. Notice here Mark sets him up next to the priests. The priests can observe the scenario. They can look at what already is, and then they can make a judgment based on that. Jesus can come in and speak reality into existence. I think Mark wants us to see this is the next level now. Before the, the priest could allow you into the community or not, Jesus can now make you well. That's something a priest never could have done. And the man can't contain himself, the leper. He goes wild, telling everybody, ignoring Jesus. I think we can sympathize with him at that level. Even though we would understand his mistake, I think that I might have made the same error. This rejection of the divine command all throughout the Bible, though, is sin. Clearly hearing what God has said and then ignoring it is sinful. And now look at what happens because of his sin. I almost don't even want to call it sin because I would so do the same thing. But it was. It wasn't taking seriously what Jesus had told him to do. And look at what happens. The isolated man finds healing and is now able to move freely about in the community like he never was able to do before. Yeah? Jesus, the freely moving man, does the healing of the leper and as a result is isolated and unable to move about freely. It was a total reversal, wasn't it? The leper now has changed places with Jesus. Now Jesus has to hide. Now Jesus has to stay quiet. Now Jesus can't walk into town freely. As a result, it says in verse 45, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he stayed outside in the lonely places. I suspect that as Jesus was reaching out to touch that man, he thought to himself, okay, here we go. I know I'm going to pay for this, and he did it anyway. He loved this broken sinner, the social reject. Jesus does this elsewhere. We'll skip ahead a little bit. Remember when he's sitting there at the table with Judas. Later he says that he knows that one of these men will betray him, yet he shows goodness toward Judas still, knowing that it's going to hurt him in the end. Jesus enters Jerusalem as the Messiah, as its Savior, knowing that all he does 
is going to land him in the worst place. Those palm branches of welcome will turn into vicious whips. He knows that. And he still goes in for him. You say, how? Why? We might say, well, because he was God, you know. He was God, so suffering like that was quite a bit easier for him. Hmm. We have to be really careful there. We know from the scriptures that Jesus was fully God, but also 100% man, and it is a grave mistake to think that his sufferings were somehow just, yeah, you know, whatever, no big deal because he was God. Read the second chapter of Hebrews if you don't believe me. Jesus suffered deeply and for real. You say, okay, well, maybe it was easier for him to do this with the leper and the other things because, you know, he was totally confident that he would be raised from the dead anyhow. Yes, (laughs) I say that is true. It was easier for him because he knew that he would be raised from the dead. He knew it for a fact. He believed it. He preached it. He taught it in the synagogues. Don't we as well? If we really truly believe that God is the Lord and that we will be raised up with him, that needs to have the most profound effect on the way that we live and the way that we engage with this world. Because I'll tell you right now, I see a lot of fear in our world and I see a lot of fear within us. Fear about what might happen. Fear about what somebody might take from us. Fear and trepidation and anxiety over all of the ways that sin might ravage the world. And Jesus seems to say, yeah, I know it will. And I hate the way that sin ravages the world. And so I will show compassion on the sinners and the broken ones, the people who are affected by the great chaos and pain of our world. You don't see Jesus shrinking back into a dark little cave where he just hopes to get on through this horrible life. He's courageous and loving. And we know the same thing he does, that we will be raised up from death. We can absolutely love people that are unlovable in our world. We can touch and hug them and hold them close and say that they matter. Help them to see and understand Jesus, his life and teaching, his instruction, including his death and resurrection. We can love people of all races, every single one, without any kind of fear, without any trepidation. Sure, there'll be awkward cultural clashes that make us feel strange and whatever, but the deep, compassionate love of Jesus eliminates fear of people who are not like us. Our true knowledge of the resurrection changes everything as it did for Jesus. So often we wanna believe Jesus, but we don't trust what he says. Love your neighbor. Instead we say, I would, I would love my neighbor, but it might mess up my life. It It might cost me something. It might mess up the way that I want it to be. As a result, it says in verse 45, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he stayed outside in the lonely places. It messed up his whole ministry. (laughs) It totally messed up his plan, but he did it. We can extend welcoming grace 
to the socially despised men and women and children of our world, remembering how Jesus touched the untouchable. We know that we do not have to, that we do not have to proclaim his kingdom from the distance of blog posts and Facebook updates. That's distance proclamation. We can proclaim it face to face, life to life, in our real worlds, in our jobs, on the bus and max, when we're at school and with family. And we can give this welcome to people without first assessing them and seeing if they qualify. Jesus is pretty free with his gift giving, isn't he? Even when we know that the good life of God, the generous and kind and forgiving life of Jesus is going to cost us dearly, we say, no problem. My Father and Creator loves me, and He will absolutely carry me home into the life of beauty. Like he's starting that journey right this very moment, and I'm on it with Him. So men and women of Central Bible, as you approach this communion table today, we're going to do that next. As you come up to this communion table, reflect on the powerful compassion of Jesus, the way that it was just a no-holds-barred engagement with people. Reflect on the powerful compassion and the powerful rejection of the effects of sin. And come as rejects with the filthy rags that you bear, not in a self-loathing way where you say, oh man, woe is me, but in an honest way where you say, I am broken. I do have a sin that is contagious and corrupting and isolating. And I stand before you, Jesus, remembering your death and your resurrection, and that being the focal point of my life will empower me to live the same way that Jesus did. It is very possible. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. He touches you in the kindest way. He comes up close to you, and he looks you in the eye, and he says, I know every single thing about you, and I am not afraid of your sin. I am not afraid of the corruption that plagues you. I love you, and I am well pleased with you, my beloved children. Pray with me. Jesus, we are very thankful that you are so kind to us. I know that I think about your goodness and the way that you show mercy to me, and I feel immediately as though you made a mistake. There are so many better people, much more acceptable, who do things so much better, more faithfully. My head just goes into this comparison mode, and I believe I'm speaking on behalf of this whole community. It's hard to believe that you would love us, and it's easier to believe that you would love us from afar with a lot of distance between us so that we can't really mess up your plan too bad, and yet that's not how you seem to do it. You seem to get right up in our face. You seem to embrace us right as we are, who we are, and then bid that we come and follow you. And so, Jesus, we want to do that. Help us to take on your heart. Help us to see other human beings through your eyes, 
so that the different social barriers that have been constructed over many thousands of years no longer carry sway with us, that we see our neighbors as true miracles of you, the Most High God, and that we engage with them with your love, not fear or anxiety or trying to grasp what we want, but instead truly, courageously loving all. Help us to become like you, Jesus, our creator and our savior. We love you, we trust you, and we're thankful. Amen.